Shot Reverse Shot, a film and television podcast in which we talk about a subject which changes from episode to episode. I'm Edwin Davis, and joining me this week to discuss uh, a variety of subjects, including one of the, certainly what turned out to be one of the cultural highlights of the year for me, uh, the web series Carboys, is Nathaniel Smith returning to the show. Hi, Nit. Nat, how's it going? Uh, I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm very, very well. Now, uh, one of the reasons you're on this show is uh, you have joined the uh, the our, our demographic in launching your own podcast uh and uh, i wanted to kind of talk to you about the the new show that you're launching so uh why don't you tell us a little bit something about the the show yes i'm, I'm afraid it is a little bit mercenary i mean obviously the podcast started because we wanted to talk about car boys and then mm-hmm. the timing very coincidentally happens to coincide we're recording on the day when episode one has just been released it's called the vod pod and it's uh, run by vodzilla the one of the websites i write for but I'm the host of it, and it specializes in anything that you can stream. Because um, I would wager that most people I know watch more films on a streaming service than they do at the cinema. Mm. And obviously, streaming is uh, streaming subscription services like Netflix and Amazon are putting a lot of money into actually producing films and TV these days as well. So it, it definitely feels like the future of film, even if I will always be. Uh, someone that goes to the cinema and shuts himself in a big screen and just has that cinematic experience. This definitely still feels like uh, where the world of film and television is going. And mm. so uh, Vodzilla, the website, and now the Vodpod are basically specializing entirely in that. Um, that's that's the aim of it, to to cover things that you're more likely to watch in your lounge than at the cinema. Yeah, and I think it also is is a valuable resource in the age of streaming because the lack of curation on something like Netflix is, you know, it's not harmful in the sense that it's dangerous to cinema or something, but I think it does mean that things can slip through the cracks or it means that people do go through that stereotypical activity, which I go through all the time, of just you have your streaming services and you just kind of flick through them for like 20 minutes, half an hour, and the amount of time it would take you to watch an episode of something, just trying to figure out what you want to watch. Uh, and I think there is a a general lack of resources to kind of help people find the things that they may actually enjoy. Yeah, and so what what we're doing on the Vodpad is it's going to come in three parts, and one of them is uh, called The Hidden Gem, where I ask my guests, and my guests will change each week, um, I asked them to recommend something on a streaming service to me that I probably haven't seen. Mm. So for our first episode, Vodzilla's editor was my guest, a guy called Ivan, lovely chap. And he uh, recommended me a BBC TV series that's now on Netflix called People Just Do Nothing. And it sounds right at my street and I'd never even heard of it. Uh, So that's definitely a part of what we want to do is like root out these things on Amazon or even some of the smaller services like uh, Walter Presents, which is one we have here in the UK, or BFI Player, or Movie, or whatever, um, to to help listeners make a decision while also just having a fun conversation about these things. But then we also, the second section, uh, we cover the big release of the week, which uh, for this episode was Okja. Mm, which is a, a great movie that I'm gutted I probably will never have any chance to see in a cinema, but it was it was nice to be able to uh, come home from work and realize that there was a new Bong Joon-ho movie just waiting for me to check out. 
Yeah, and we discussed that tension because I I'm a, a defender of going to the cinema, even though I obviously really value streaming services. Mm. And so I, I chatted with Ivan a, a bit about Oak is this incredible film, and Netflix seems to be the only people willing to fund that kind of filmmaking. But I was lucky enough to see it on the big screen at Edinburgh Film Festival, and I do think it is a big screen experience that most people like you will experience on the small screen. So we we chatted about that kind of. Uh, thing as well and then the final section is uh, we discuss a double bill a potential double bill so we talk about something that's been released that's on the big screens at the moment and then what you can watch at home to accompany it or even to replace it so this week we suggested uh, things that you could double bill with Transformers the last night Mm -hmm. Uh, which I won't give away because I want you to go and listen to the podcast but uh, my choice was slightly left field I mean it's pretty much all of cinema, except for the other Transformers movies, I think. But, you know, you've got a fairly broad canvas to draw from for things to watch instead of The Last Night. So I, I look forward to seeing how exactly you narrowed it down. Well, I mean, what would you want to double bill with Transformers The Last Night? Uh, you've just I mean, seen it at the cinema and you think, I want some more of that. What would you... <laughs> some more of that. I mean... The Iron Giant is the thing that leaps out just because that's something I like to watch in general, but also like the idea of a movie about humans interacting with giant destructive robots taking place uh, in kind of a period setting as parts of The Last Night does. I think that, that one. That is a cracking choice, and I wish I'd have okay. gone for it because that would be very on <laughs> brand for me as well. Yeah. yeah. Animation. But it, yeah, so, uh, so that show sounds great. It's the VOD pod. Where can people find it online? Well, it's at the VODpod on Twitter, and mm-hmm. it's just vodpod.co is the website. Um, I think it's on iTunes. It's certainly on Pocket Casts, which is what I use, SoundCloud. Uh, so, but yeah, head to vodpod.co to find the best way for listening to it on your device. Great. And we are also recording this a few days after the midpoint of the year. We're pretty much halfway through the year with a bit of change. And uh, I think, you know, a lot of people are now starting to look back on the first six months of the year to try and figure out, is this a good year for movies? What have have been the highlights? So I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, what your personal highlights have been over the the last six months uh, and and also off of some of my own. But, but, you know, what what movies so far this year have really kind of stood stood out for you? Well, uh, just following on from the last conversation, I think Ocha is pretty much a shoe in for uh, my top five of the year list. I think it's a terrific film with such a delicate balance of tones that Bong Joon-ho juggles really well. And I I was despairing about cinema this year in general. And then Ocha was released on the same day as Baby Driver, which, again, is such a purely cinematic experience. It's something that could only exist in this format. Uh, It it couldn't be a play. It couldn't be on the radio. has to be a film it couldn't even Mm. be a tv series because it's such a self-contained little story and it uh, it's just such a filmmaking rush it's a film that's in love with cinematic history but is very much doing its own thing Uh, so and they were released on the same day and almost single-handedly redeemed 2017 (laughs) for cinema i i remember a few months ago watching uh, king arthur legend of the sword in the cinema and (laughs) Just feeling like a deep existential despair at my choice to be a film critic. Right. (laughs) Um, And I just thought, cinema is is dead. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, I I went through that malaise for a while, just 
haunted because it, it it was in the same month that I finally got around to watching Suicide Squad as well. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, and I just I was just despairing. I was like, you know, these films cost you know over a hundred and fifty million dollars each, and they're just so dazzlingly incompetent, mm-hmm. so astonishingly bad that I was yeah. It had been a while since I'd I'd loved a film. Um, And uh, Baby Driver and Oakja were both like shots in the arm and reminders that actually cinema has the power to show me things that I have never seen before. They also, what I found very strange, because I I watched them both this week and I I agree that they're both like really fantastic and they do, uh, they are kind of a shot in the arm for for cinema in general, it feels like, or at least for, for the year. But I thought it was really weird. They also both feature the line, everything but the squeal because they both talk about pigs in one, literally, in one <laughs> metaphor. And I just thought that was so strange that yeah. a really unusual turn of phrase turned up in these two great movies that came out on the same day. But but like, and as far as like the rest of the year goes, there's not been a huge amount that I've seen that really amazed me. I saw Raw, which was um, the, the French cannibal coming-of-age yeah, movie. I missed that one. It's very, very good. I saw it in um, the one of the, the Enzian, which is the kind of art house theatre in in Orlando, and it's a really gross movie in some respects. Like for the most part, it's not that gross. Like you hear cannibal movie, and you think it's going to be gross all the way through, and it is gross in parts. But mainly, it's about this young girl kind of coming to terms with her sexuality and the conditioning that her family have kind of bred into her over the course of her life, uh, and it's a really exciting and, and powerful movie but i i watched it in the the cinema and during several scenes there were multiple moments where people in the audience were going oh god <laughs> which uh, or just kind of you could almost hear people just squirming in their seats and there's something magical about that of, of a room full of strangers being yeah. really united in their shared disgust uh, images they are seeing projected on a screen so that was that was probably one of my most memorable i also really enjoyed a get out obviously which we discussed was was, yeah. was really great but there was a long there was this really just long stretch of not very much happening between get out and and baby driver and yeah Oxja. and so some of the best things i've seen in cinemas this year uh are just because of uk release dates and we're probably out mm. in the us last year so you know, La La Land and Silence, I think, are both terrific. Moonlight as well was one yeah. that I only saw this year. Uh, Jeff Nichols' Loving I caught recently. I thought that was sorely underrated. I, the the subtlety of, of that film is just terrific. And two astonishingly performances in that. And a couple of animations as well that only got cinematic releases this year. The Red Turtle and My Life as a Courgette. Mm. Both of which doing very different things with animation, but are are utterly beautiful my life as a courgette has such a delicate balance such a delicate tone to it it manages to be a film that is accessible to children and about children yet deals with really dark films in a very moving and, and nuanced way and you know is far more dramatic than most things i've seen aimed at adults uh released this year yeah, that I saw that as well. Although over here it's uh, my life as a zucchini because uh, they they don't have cor- well they don't know what a courgette over is in the the US. Um, but the one that's always baffled me is eggplant. Yeah, I mean, which, which is aubergine. Does, but aubergines look nothing like eggs. 
yeah, it's it's bizarre, and yeah, it's it's I've never quite understood that one as well. Um, it does kind of it uh, kind of steers into unfortunate stereotypes about Americans just not being able to handle multi-syllable words. I guess like they can handle two, but aubergine, hmm, no. So did you see the dub with Nick Offerman and? Uh, I did. Uh, yes. That and was... did they did, did they have a separate dub? Because I heard that dub, but where they still use Courgette as his name, did they redub everything to be Zucchini? Uh, yes, everything was Zucchini in it. Yeah. Wow. But, Dedication. Uh, I didn't notice. I guess it probably doesn't. It's all in French anyway, so I guess it doesn't really matter that the uh, that the the lips don't sync up. Uh, it's not like with uh, Wallace and Gromit and the Curse of the Were Rabbit, where they changed the whole thing to marrow. Of, to melon, sorry, in the US because they didn't know what marrow is. Even uh, though they clearly were not holding... I suppose a marrow could look a bit like a watermelon, couldn't it? Yeah, it was close enough, but I just remember the people from Ard, Ard, people from Ardman just complaining, like, you know, how long it takes to make their films anyway, having to reshoot every time yeah. anyone said marrow well, with the slightly is, different mouth movement. This is what amazed me about uh, Zootropolis, was the fact that they must have had to reanimate a whole bunch of stuff where whenever it said uh zootopia on on the walls for the english release they would have had to reanimate it to say zootropolis mm. all for what because of one dutch zoo yeah thanks a lot dutch zoos <laughs> the uh and and just to, to kind of balance out in terms of you know talking about feeling like despair whilst watching a movie uh i felt that watching kong school island <laughs> really i didn't yeah. hate that i just thought it was like i forgot it almost immediately it, it was more because i i only went to see it because i think i finished work early one day i think it was around some some holiday and i decided i would go up and visit my parents for the weekend and I had like a couple of hours to kill. So I just kind of like, it was the only thing starting. So I thought, okay, I'll watch that. And there was just something about it where I was watching it. And as I was watching it, I was just overcome by all of the cynical choices that had gone into making it in a way that, um, well, just in fan, the, fan Bing Bing in it, clearly just, uh, yeah, not having any lines pretty much of anyone, but it was also just like the idea of like, okay, they chose a guy who had directed one mildly well-liked indie movie that not many people saw because that would get them indie cred. He set it in the seventies. Cause then that would get some kind of like, it would make it look distinct, but then the 70s setting doesn't really have anything to do with the, the actual kind of, um, that, to do with the themes of the movie or anything like that. Like there's some vague kind of hints at the, you know, the, the Vietnam in there, but it's not particularly strong. They waste this cast of really talented actors in nothing roles. There's no, and, and just, there was also just that sense of like Aaron, well, what's his name? Jordan Voigt Roberts, is that his name? Yeah. Jordan Voigt Roberts. Yeah. The, the fact that they picked him from semi-obscurity essentially to direct this movie but then he has no ability to pace an action sequence like every action sequence in the movie comes out of nowhere with no tension or setup and then ends almost as soon so like the scene where kong is being attacked by giant squid and then he isn't <laughs> and it, like there's no it has no bearing on anything it just happens yeah uh, uh, and it just kind of i just walked out of it just seeing really angry at hollywood that uh, a kind of guy who had had no indication that he would be suitable to direct that movie was given that kind of a huge budget and then there's lots of talented filmmakers 
you know, women, people of colour who get no chance at all to make a bad King Kong movie, but he'll get to make a bunch of bad blockbusters. And like, there was just a, a lot of different things just kind of like were churned up by that movie, even though I think in like, if I watched the movie in a better headspace, I probably would have had the same kind of feel of, yeah, that was fine. That was nothing. Well, I mean, there, there were the double standards with people being like amazed that DC would let someone who directed Monster make Wonder Woman. It's like, the same level of scrutiny is not, you know, held up against uh, Trevor or uh, mm. John Vogt Roberts or whatever. And and yeah. Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman, I liked off off brand for this year. I've liked two superhero films, uh, both Wonder Woman and Logan. I thought were genuinely entertaining pieces of cinema, and I, I feel I feel like I want to hate a superhero film again just to, <laughs> you know, fix the situation. Yeah, Logan, I was very, very impressed by. I think it. I was a little sceptical going into it just because when it was announced it was going to be R-rated, that seemed like such a, again, like a cynical knee-jerk thing. Oh, Deadpool made money, so now we have to make Logan R-rated. But it, it really was like, like Robert Altman always used to say that he made his movies R-rated because he knew that kids would be bored by them and he didn't think that he didn't want kids to kind of watch his movie. He wanted to make sure that only adults watched it. And... Logan, obviously, it has an appeal, like a mass appeal, because people are getting stabbed through the face all the time. But uh, it did feel like it was R-rated, not just so that they could be violent and swear, but because because they want James Mangold wanted to make a movie about like death and anger <laughs> and disappointment yeah, yeah. and all of these things that are not re- that probably would have been sanded down if it was a it was a PG thirteen. So I was really impressed by how fully he realised his vision of what he wanted a, a Wolverine movie to be. And uh, one last very different recommendation for films of the year. Um, did you see The Other Side of Hope by Aki Karasmaki? No, I haven't seen that one. It's it's wonderful. It's a very human look at the refugee crisis. And it's about a, a uh. refugee uh, coming into Helsinki from Aleppo. But it's also about a divorcee who wants to open a restaurant and is utterly incompetent at it. Okay. It's, it's such a bittersweet, human, compassionate film it's also like among the most I've laughed in the cinema this year, and it's it's beautifully shot, mostly with a static camera, but the the framing and the lighting is just absolutely gorgeous, and it's just just a film that m- makes you feel a bit of hope for humans and people and stuff. Uh, I'll definitely keep an eye on that. I really like uh, Aki Kurosaki. I like his I, I like his development from someone who started making these kind of weird kind of wry jokey movies like you know all of the uh, leningrad cowboy stuff where there's not a huge amount of heart to it and it's mainly just these kind of weird off off center gags to someone who in like his later years seems to have become kind of this person with like deep wells of emotion beneath all the jokes which is uh, i think uh, a development that ties in nicely to our subject <laughs> for this Indeed. podcast which is as i said the web series carboys which is a series uh, that was uh, created by or, or launched by Polygon, the video game slash comedy website, which increasingly has become kind of more of the latter to to its to its benefit. Uh, I really like the way that that site has kind of developed into a source of some of the strangest comedy on the internet. 
created by Nick Robinson and Griffin McElroy, who are two writers for the for the the website, and uh, they produce a, a lot of the video content there. And essentially, it's in its basic form, it's a podcast. It's a it's a show in which two very funny people smash digital cars against things. But uh, as it ran on uh, and it started in August of last year and it finished in May of this year, uh, it became something really strange and genuinely uh, moving. moving. Yes, it was it was genuinely moving at points and always incredibly funny but it it became a show that developed its own weird mythology and tone in a way that from the first episode which again is just them taking these wonderfully rendered hd recreations of cars and smashing them into things uh, you probably wouldn't have expected how how it would progress yeah i think um we'll probably get into spoilers later on in the podcast but for now, like it, it, we just have to stress, go and go and watch Carboys. There's 38 mm. episodes of it, so it's, it's quite a long commitment because some of them are as long as half an hour. Shortest are about 15 minutes long, and it, it does become this this strange work of art that you can't mm. tear your eyes away from, and and it's it's cinematic. I think that's why we're talking about it on a podcast that mostly concerns itself with films, is because this mm. is. Although you're just watching people play a car simulator, it is a cinematic show. And you kind of get that from the very first shot, which is uh, Nick controls the camera and he's, he's panning around this, this car, this shiny car model that they've got. And, and then all of a sudden, a truck comes in from off screen and just crushes it. And it's a really <laughs> well-edited and shot almost moment of the game where something enters in from off screen and it's a surprise and it's funny and it kind of all just pans out from there you sort of half know what you're getting yourself in for uh, once you've seen that shot yeah and, and i think the fact that they do have the free reign of the camera and they have these dig- these kind of worlds of other people have created that they can play in it you do get these moments that are genuinely thrilling i rewatched an episode earlier today there's a there's a there's a, a sequence where they are driving a truck and they've attached a kind of tanker to the back of it and they're driving along and the trump goes the the truck goes uh over a slight ramp and the trailer detaches and then suddenly the truck is just going like on its own journey and they're kind of panning along the side of it as it's going and then it hits a ramp that comes out that they didn't know was there and then crashes into a wall and the speed at which the camera is moving and the 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 cleanness of the composition of it all it really is like something out of fury road or something it is this really genuinely exciting action sequence of this this massive truck going along through the distance with you having absolutely no idea of what obstacles are in its way uh, and and that sensibility i think permeates the whole the whole show they do revel in their opportunities to create beautiful images in like i say again a game beam mg dot drive we should probably say what the game is which is kind of mainly just designed to allow people to create vehicular mayhem yeah, or even just to like drive around fun tracks that people have designed, mm. and yet and yet somehow they've they found a way. Well, part of it is the the artistry with which the way these cars crumple is is quite <laughs> astonishing. The physics of the various things that they put into the game are 
really impressively developed. So that's part of the joy of it is just watching things crumple and crash in, in slow motion. But as the show gets more surreal, it, it, it does take on this abstract beauty to it where they realize more things they can do with the camera or they'll, they'll pause it as they explore the landscape. And there's this ongoing refrain of Claire de Lune <laughs> by Debussy yeah. that starts as an offhand, offhand comment where I think Griffin just says, oh yeah, you should be playing Claire de Lune over this or, or something yeah. like that. And then that becomes almost the theme tune to Carboys. And they, they riff on that several times. And so it, 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 yeah, it becomes cinematic and beautiful and surreal. It's unlike anything I've seen because at the end of the day, you are still watching two guys crash cars in a simulator. Mm. And I think the thing as well with Claire de Lune that is, is really, really funny is it starts as a funny, as a joke and then at a certain point, whenever you hear the kind of the delicate plaintive playing of the keys, you get excited because you know that whatever is about to happen is going to be pretty spectacular. And there is no song I could think of as more ill-suited to getting the blood pumping <laughs> than Claire de Lune, but it really does. You do watch it and you think, oh, something special is about to happen. <laughs> and they're, they're keying us into it by giving us like five or six seconds head start. It becomes the equivalent of you know, like the Wonder Woman theme, like really kind of like kicking in to let you know that something something is about to happen and you should really pay attention. Yeah, and it's worth saying that the two commentators, Nick and Griffin, are just such affable personalities to spend this time with. Mm. They're just, they're clearly, clearly very good friends and their their commentary is just gentle, it's comedic, it's amusing. Uh, and, um, you know, Griffin gets distracted really easily by certain things. And Nick is the, the controller of everything. He'll sometimes keep things back, hide things from Griffin until an opportune moment. And it's just, you know, aside from all of our claims to it being artistry and that kind of thing, it is also just like a fun, easygoing way to spend your time with two guys goofing around. Yeah, it has become a show that I like to have on in the background when I'm at work at my job playing computer games <laughs> professionally, which is, uh, and I think that um, one of the things about it that um, I've been really struck by is it almost feels like this is the best form for kind of improv. Uh, the idea of you are given a world in which you can do pretty much anything you want you have, in the case of, of BeamNG.Drive, you can generate all these different cars. You can change the gravity so that things can be smashed up. You can place obstacles in the way of items and things like that. People can create crazy uh, tracks for you to drive around. But in the way in which they use it, it really is a case of of Nick is, has ideas that he wants to pursue. But if Griffin says, hey, no, let's let's have these two cars crash into each other or, hey, let's explore that area over there he you know is completely willing to just yes and it and just follow along and see where exactly that that particular path leads them uh, and it is really it's, it is very kind of an accepting and safe arena in which for which comedy can unfurl and then that improv is what leads to the more narrative elements of mm. cowboys which i guess we should probably talk about now that somehow to 
two guys crashing cars in a simulator end up telling a story through this? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, which is so weird. Like when you said earlier, spoiler alert, if someone were to watch the first episode of this, I think of, of Carboys, they'd think, how can there be spoilers? <laughs> but there is the, a narrative does kind of unfold from it, which is that um, in the sixth episode, they encounter a crash test dummy, which they call Busto. Uh, Busto 2.0, sorry. Busto 1.0 is the Stig from Top Gear who is inside of a bus. And I think Busto 1.0 is is really when the narrative starts. Because the first thing they try and do is extract Busto 1.0 from the bus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And that's that's really when the the strange and narrative elements of it begin as as they pursue this ragged determination to to get Busto out of the bus. And then mm. Busto 2.0 comes along. Yeah, and also Busto 1.0 is is kind of the first point at which the limits of the game kind of throw up these these kind of weird surreal moments, which is that you can do so much in in Beamng.drive, but at a certain point, the graphics the the game will just kind of freak out and it will uh, polygons will stretch into the into infinity and and you will end up in the with these really bizarre and oddly beautiful architectural tableaus as the cars kind of explode into different shapes uh, and then with busto 2.0 kind of goes even further than that because they suddenly encounter this dummy which they spend the majority of the episode just kind of crashing cars into and you know doing kind of funny things and so then you they a, can destroy him in some way uh, at a certain point they kind of start really kind of pulling at the fabric of him and he just completely uh, engulfs the screen and then when they restart the game a car explodes for no reason <laughs> just in the background as they start it back up at which point suddenly it's not just a t- crash test dummy they have encountered their nemesis uh, and that really kind of shapes the direction the show goes in from that point is uh, it becomes what I, I i'm sure there's a proper term for this but what i've been thinking of as kind of exploratory storytelling which is that they from then onwards they go into each episode with two goals in mind it's either just come up with a lot of really funny things that we could put in this video on youtube or find a story what is going to be the story of this particular episode and they don't impose it on there it's just a case of them going into this environment and trying to find some sort of story and and the amazing thing is that more often than not they do come back with something really interesting and it's this narrative element that comes and goes. As you say, there are still episodes post-Busto 2.0 where it is just the two of them going back to goofing around. Mm-hmm. But the the narrative comes and goes, and, and uh, we'll talk about the final few episodes in a bit. It takes on a whole new life towards the end of it. Um, but it's, it's the narrative that has inspired a fan community around Carboys that is very dedicated and very creative. There have been animations related to carboys there have been uh, conspiracy theory videos um (laughs) nick and griffin have embraced this wholeheartedly when they were uh when they met up at some kind of fair it looked like um perhaps in uh, uh, huntingdon or somewhere i Uh, I think it was a music festival in austin i think it was south by southwest oh right they're there and and so they're, they're just like doing a video kind of update uh, and just in the background, a crash test dummy starts walking <laughs> towards them that is very clearly Busto 2.0, who's somehow escaped the the, the system. 
so and and there's there's one of the fan animations is even now part of the official polygon playlist for Carboys mm. uh, because they've deemed it to be canon and it's called some kind of digital heaven and it happens after one of the most narrative heavy episodes uh and it's this really beautiful animation actually that enhances the story a bit that Nick and Griffin have now said yeah this is this is canon this is official this is part of the overall Carboys story yeah i think the, the fervor of the fan community is one of the things that i found most uh interesting about it because obviously there are lots of fandoms out there that are really into into these sort of things but like the um the meat of carboys is kind of so sparse in a sense in that it is literally you know a, a video series based around going around in this car simulator that you would think there wouldn't be much room for that sort of thing but i think the way in which uh nick and griffin really have um, looked at the way people have reacted to it and tried to emphasize those elements. You know, there is a a very kind of porous membrane between creator and fan in in Carboys, and in a way that isn't toxic in the way that that can happen. I know that um, Griffin has talked in relation to the Adventure Zone about that sort of thing. How there are some people who will get really uh, passionate about certain creative decisions that get made and, and kind of be really imposing on a creator. But in in Carboys, I think because it's it started as such a kind of a goofy thing for them to do, they're willing to kind of follow the fans in that regard. Well, um, I mean, I... the Adventure Zone started as a goofy thing for them to do as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they couldn't really have predicted how it would evolve into uh, essentially a piece of storytelling. At mm. first, it was just them playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's, that's uh, Griffin and his brothers and his dad. They play Dungeons and Dragons on a podcast and sort of riff on the story there but that's now become a narrative again with a huge fandom and its own comic uh, book as well its own comic book and and people create art and feel very passionately about these characters and it's sparked a lot of debates uh, some of which have not been wildly positive in the in the, the tone of the discourse or anything that i think has again it it started off as something really goofy it's kind of like the the McElroy way it starts off with something really <laughs> goofy and then has it immersed into something that's taken on a lot more substance i i stay away from the taz fandom as much as i can <laughs> yeah the uh the, the thing as well that, that i think is is really interesting in in carboys in in the idea of it starting as a goofy thing is that this was not ever intended as a as a series like it started as as just one of the many let's play videos that polygon do and you can tell that from the first episode because nick is actually talking a little bit about the technicalities of beamng.drive and saying you can buy it on steam and all this sort of stuff that you would expect from just kind of a, a let's play kind of preview video but the world of it is so kind of uh endlessly um inventive and something that you can really play with that at a certain point in the video they they really do see in the first three videos which were part of that initial session you can really tell that at some point they realized no this is something we can play this is too much fun for us to just do once and burn we have to play around in this as well and i really admire that desire to or that willingness to kind of recognize an opportunity like that and say hey we may get only like 10 episodes out of this but it still would be really fun while we do it and it became obviously much grander than i think even they could have imagined and they got 38 episodes in the end yeah. i mean should we, <laughs> should, should we talk about the the final arc 
yeah so i think for the for the most part what car boys is 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 it's that mixture of episodes where they're finding new ways to destroy busto including giant hammers which i think is my favorite episode of it because um yeah just having giant hammers swing through the air and hit things is uh on a, such a kind of lizard brain level is so satisfying to watch and more kind of goofy episodes i think the way in which this dichotomy is best uh shown is that there's one episode i think episode 35 where they basically see the face of god within the game of carboys and in episode 36 they just see some cows <laughs> and that is that is what the entire episode is about is them looking at these cows uh and i like the dichotomy between the two of those um but uh, in the kind of the last arc, they encounter a what is essentially a giant bean bag called the Blob, which is this kind of giant objects that they can drop into games, and because of its weird physics, it becomes the kind of the new, it kind of becomes Busto 3.0. It becomes this thing that they can interact with and break the game very easily, and as such, it becomes their their kind of final nemesis. And and this is when the narrative really takes on. It really goes to some weird places as they find mm. ways where they can try and defeat the blob. And the blob is this remarkable thing that just has really realistic sort of physics in terms of how it's simulated uh, and can also freak out uh, and break the game in the same way that Busto 2.0 used to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And then the final episode, I think, is is genuinely a useful piece of storytelling as they have their final encounter with the blob and discover a vortex beneath uh, this alpine landscape they're in and they go underwater in this terrible underwater car and they discover this this vortex beneath the water with all of these beams of light and these giant jpegs that are (laughs) uh, moving past them and is it the music from Interstellar they're playing at that point? They certainly yeah. use that at some point. But it, it's, this, it's this haunting music playing in the background as they sink into infinity. And then they accidentally bring the blob in there with them and also ball, which was uh, a, a giant football that Griffin <laughs> befriends, and Ovo, which is uh, an indestructible future car that's their greatest ally in... Uh, their quest to defeat the blob if this all sounds utterly nonsensical uh you should stop listening because really you've got to watch all through and watch this but it it does make sense it does cohere into this narrative thing and then the final episode ends with well it has two endings Hmm. there's one where griffin and nick end up being separated in this uh, infinite space this void beneath the mountains and it just ends with them calling out to one another and not being able Mm. to hear one another and then some music from i think an anime tv series plays over the closing credits and then there's another ending after that where they're there together in still in the void lamenting the fact that they'll never be able to escape it and they just go off into infinity listening to candle in the wind by elton john (laughs) And it's beautiful. It's really, you've come to, because Nick and Griffin have almost become characters, even though they're obviously just real people that play video games. Nick and Griffin, within the context of Carboys, have also sort of become characters. And there's a beautiful moment where there are these two beams stretching off into infinity. And they realize that Beam NG stands for Beam, Nick, and Griffin. And those two (laughs) beams are actually them. 
uh, <laughs> as they they journey into this infinite void. And it's it's a it's bizarre. It's surreal. The final episode is half an hour long, and it's inspired loads of YouTube videos of people trying to work out what actually is going on here. The kind mm. of like with the kind of speculation that we'll meet an end of game of like an end of series of Game of Thrones or something like that, where people are like, no, seriously, here's what's happening here, as they fervidly speculate on uh, some of the hints that have been dropped. And I, I think it stands up to it. I think it earns that amount of uh, speculation and people trying to dig beneath the surface of it. Yeah, I think I've heard more theories and discussions about the end of Cowboys than I have about episode eight of Twin Peaks, which is, you know, <laughs> people have described as the most kind of audacious uh, thing to ever air on television. But it's like, if you haven't seen Cowboys, you haven't you haven't yeah. encountered their, their Byzantine... Uh, mythology but it, you know it, it is you know it is a genuinely very moving ending and the thing that i think is also really great about it in terms of the overall way in which the show came to be is that the ending they essentially stumbled upon they had no plans to end the show necessarily at that point like they talked about the idea that you know because the show had become more narrative at some point they would have to end it but it really was a case they were just playing, you know, they were just doing this another episode in which they kind of think, okay, what if we put the blob underwater? What happens then? And things like that. But then they stumble upon, upon this vortex and they suddenly realise, oh, this is actually the way in which the show is going to end. Uh, and I really like the way in which their willingness to follow the story, however it goes, to follow the, the their instincts wherever it goes, you know, was what caused the show to exist in the first place. That sense of, oh, this is more than just a Let's Play video. At some point, they thought, this is the natural point for for which we can end the show. Uh, and I think that there is something really beautiful in in that, in particularly in a in a kind of media landscape in which nothing is ever allowed to end and people are constantly trying to reboot things or bring shows back that have been off the air for a long time, like Twin Peaks or The X-Files, a less successful example. You know, it is... It is refreshing to kind of encounter something where the creator said no this is this is where it ends this has a finite life and we've reached it and what do you think of the most popular conspiracy theory that um uh nick nick is reincarnated as buster 1.0 griffin <laughs> is reincarnated as buster 2.0 and the ball is reincarnated as the blob I think it's great. I think that is the best one to kind of make sense of a of the two separate endings that essentially they then go through this cycle over and over again until they can escape and be together. I like that idea because it is there's something kind of or vaguely kind of Buddhist about it of having to just kind of keep going through this same struggle until you can ascend beyond it. But uh, I do think that it's uh, it's wonderful just again seeing how people can can pick at these different threads and kind of weave something together that actually does sort of hold up to scrutiny in terms of the the framework of the broader show yeah uh i just i just it was so inventive it was mm -hmm. funny it was like say a little bit moving it's unlike anything i've seen in cinemas this year you know going back to that earlier conversation about yeah. how the year in cinema is going the the finale of Cowboys is, uh, I was talking about Baby Driver and Ocha showing me things that I've never seen before. <laughs> I think Cowboys managed to do that as well in its own unique and 
baffling way that would only entertain a certain niche of society. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I agree. I think it is It is one of those things, like, when I look back on the year, I think Carboys in general, but particularly the kind of the last run of episodes will be something I look back on as, like, one of my highlights of the year because it is it is a representation of a very unique... I shouldn't say very unique, but of a unique sensibility of these two guys who uh, are coming at this work from a very specific point of view that is unlike anyone else's really like the, I don't think there's much else you can kind of point to other than I guess the broader array of McElroy products like I think you you can see a lot of carboys in Monster Factory and also in their new series Let's Go to Hell which is kind of comes from the same um, place except they're they're playing around with old GameCube games and seeing what happens when you separate the camera and just kind of move around in these worlds in which you're not meant to see things but it is it is this work that does feel wholly its own thing and distinctive uh, and i think uh, that is that is wonderful and, and precious more so because of course it ended at a point which it didn't necessarily have to in the sense that you know they could have just kept playing beamng.drive forever and they could probably give kept coming up with funny interesting things to do but i think the fact that they reached a point where the story felt naturally it reached its conclusion uh like i say is 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 wonderful yeah like a british comedy series <laughs> it's very much the space of of youtube videos yes or, or the office or anything that just thought you know what we've We've done well. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> okay, so we uh, end every episode of this show with recommendations in which we kind of uh, offer people something that they should check out. Uh, Nat, what have you got to recommend for us this week? Well, I would recommend going to the website McElroyShows.com. Mm-hmm. I think that's the website, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and that is where you'll find all the work done by Griffin McElroy and his two brothers, Justin and Travis. Their main show is a podcast called My Brother, My Brother and Me that I think we even referenced briefly last time when we were uh, riffing on uh, podcast adverts and and how how well they do it. Mm -hmm. And it's a, everything you find on this website has some value to it. So there's a, a selection of podcasts that they do, including the Adventure Zone that we've already mentioned. They also have a a television series of My Brother, My Brother and Me uh, that only recently became available in the UK. You can find it on iTunes or Google Play. And uh, it's just six six half-hour episodes. You get to see them interact as brothers. It's goofy. It's funny. Few things at the moment make me laugh as much as the McElroy brothers. Uh, I I spend an inordinate inordinate amount of time listening to them uh, or consuming their YouTube videos every week it's it's getting a little bit concerning but i guess what i like about them is they're positive uh they Mm. they want to make comedy that is just goofy and silly and isn't punching down at anyone and is inclusive and it's and they really rarely talk about politics as well which i don't know about you i am i need that break (laughs) i i don't want to be escapist uh, I'm I'm well aware of the world we're living in, but I, I also like to compartmentalize and I don't want it seeping into every aspect of my life. And so they this is this is comedy that doesn't mention politics. The closest they got was on election day. They had an episode of My Brother and My Brother and Me that they called the Anxiety Free Cruise that was just there to soothe all of your anxieties. And that's the kind of thing they're doing. They they 
create content purely to make you smile, to make you feel good, to sometimes give you like a bit of a warm emotional feeling as well. Mm. And and so they're pretty single-minded in what they set out to do. And I th- I think they achieve it beautifully. Yeah, and, and in terms of the TV show, which is is fantastic and, and incredibly incredibly funny, the episode where they encounter tarantulas is is particularly good. Um the uh the thing that I really like about it is the way in which it celebrates the town of Huntington, West Virginia, which is their hometown and where Justin still lives. And you do get a real sense that they love this this place in in kind of West Virginia and this town that they grew up in. And it's really nice seeing them kind of fill in some of the details of their lives by going back to like their old school and things like that and hanging out with their dad. And it's just one of the many, many ways in which that show is just immensely sweet in addition to being uh, incredibly funny and having particular terms of phrase that really make me laugh. The the one that always sticks out to me is when... (laughs) when Griffin is dressed up uh, as a kind of low-rent wizard and he's spinning around on his chair and he just says, I'm, I look like a rotisserie shithead. <laughs> I just really, <laughs> there's just something about the phrase rotisserie shithead that really, really amuses me. And they, um, even get, they even get the mayor of Huntington involved as well. Oh, he's fantastic. He's, he's really, really funny as the um, straightest of straight men. He really does, uh, he does not sanction their buffoonery to quote... <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones talking to Jim Carrey. But yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful show. Okay, I'm going to recommend a movie that has a tangential relationship to Carboys uh, because some music from it was used by Nick Robinson. Also, that was something as well. Carboys, great choice of music throughout, particularly towards the end when they really started to lean on film and TV scores to kind of under, underpin particularly dramatic moments. But in the in one episode they used the song parade from the movie paprika by uh, by satoshi khan which is a movie that i'd owned on dvd for years but never actually sat down to watch and then after watching after discovering that that was the source of that particular piece of music i thought i should watch this because everyone says it's great uh, and it is it's an amazing movie um satoshi khan for people who don't know was a an anime director who died in i think 2010 he was uh, in his mid 40s so he died tragically young after directing four movies perfect blue millennium actress tokyo godfathers which is also terrific tokyo the, i've seen tokyo godfathers and paprika and they're both uh, remarkable films yeah uh perfect blue and millennium actress are both really really great as well he he basically he was batting a thousand when he passed away suddenly and he also did a tv show called paranoia agent which everyone says is really good but uh, paprika was his last film and that was kind of the reason why i didn't watch it for a long time because i bought it and then he died and i was like well i really want to always have a new satoshi Kon movie to watch because once i watch this then would then i know there's no more but I finally watched it and uh, it's this this incredibly beautiful and inventive movie about scientists essentially experimenting on people's dreams. They develop a technology that allows them to go into people's dreams and that technology then unleashes absolute chaos as people start to abuse it and 
um, start to mess with people in minds, incepting ideas into their mind, people might say. Um, you could say that. You could say that. Uh, and like, uh, I, I think um, I think most people probably, if they know of, of Paprika, it's probably because people always talk about it in terms of Christopher Nolan's Inception, because Inception came out a few years later and is very, very similar in plot but uh, also in certain sequences, like there is there is a sequence, there are multiple sequences of people running down corridors, which then kind of morph and change around them. And there's lots of moments of kind of crazy dream like moments occurring in real world in the real world. But uh, pap- uh, Paprika is uh, or Paprika, however you want to pronounce it, is uh, like much better than Inception in so many ways. Mainly it's shorter, which helps. Uh, it's more visually dynamic because it's animation and they can make the shifts between levels of reality much more easily and it can actually create a sense of a dreamlike space better than uh inception did because inception basically it whatever dream world they're in it just feels like a different part of the real world there's not a huge amount to it that feels actually surreal and paprika is is a genuinely surreal movie but it's uh under underpinned by this really compelling central story of these people trying to figure out who is kind of messing with people's minds you know and entering all these dreams and trying to trying to solve a mystery uh and i think that the the difference between a level of visual complexity and sophistication and simple storytelling is kind of what satoshi Kon did really really well because he had these really bold visions tied to like really strong stories and uh yeah watching it i felt just really sad that he's not around anymore uh because i think he would have done uh, a lot more amazing work if he'd lived um, and, but but Paprika is, is an amazing movie. And if you want to understand better the sheer genius of Satoshi Kon, Tony Zhu did an excellent YouTube video. Uh, mm. he, he does the series Every Frame of Painting, and he did one on Satoshi Kon that uh, captures the sort of editing genius of him as an animator. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, if you want to see the way in which uh, composition and editing, when combined together, can just create just kind of these uh, really overwhelming moments of, of connection and storytelling um, that, yeah, you can't go wrong with, with Satoshi Kon. Okay, thanks, Nat, for coming on the show again. Uh, where can Thank people you. find you online? At Nathaniel Smith, but Nathaniel spelt the biblical way. So A-E-L, not I-E-L at the end there. At Nathaniel Smith, and also at the VODpod, or vodpod.co, which is where I'll be spending some of my time now. Fantastic, uh, and uh, thank you all for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, then please subscribe to us on iTunes. Raters and reviewers, it helps more people find us. You can also find us on Facebook and on Twitter, where we are at SRS underscore podcast. We'll be back next time with something entirely different. But until then, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye.